Hello, everybody, and welcome into episode 66 of the Diamond Duo podcast. I am Tony Puglisi, joined as always by my co-host and co-producer Tom Bauer, here to bring you all the latest that has been and will be around Major League Baseball. This episode of the Diamond Duo podcast is brought to you by the Atlanta faithful. We sincerely apologize if our loud, tri-state personalities got in the way of your baseballing experience. Story to come later. Tom, it has been a while. How you doing? It has been a while. It's been like a week since I've seen you, but like three weeks since we've probably sat down and done this podcast. So I'm doing pretty effing well, Tony. Feel nice and relaxed a week after vacation, and then I came back, and there wasn't any wildfire smoke going on in New York City, which happened while we were away. Master planners of vacation in that regard, I would like to point out. But I've, I've got a new, uh, a new sense of pride in life, with a cleared mind and not a lot of stress, and then I watched New York Yankees baseball, and all that stress went back to my mind, and now my life is ruined forever, as it normally is when I try and watch the New York Yankees. But this isn't a New York Yankees episode, this is just another regular episode of the Diamond Duel podcast. But long story short, I'm doing A-OK. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing good. Still somehow riding the post-vacation blues like you. Didn't mean for that to rhyme. Uh, no, it was like Thursday, and I was doing my work. I must have doing my work at work. I'm really tired today. I was just doing my work, and it was like 2 p.m., and I'm like, damn it. I wish I was looking at the water right now, because the view from the condo that we were looking at, Tom's parents, wonderful condo, thank them. Well, we thank them very much for letting us use it. It's very, very kind of them. The view is gorgeous it is so beautiful you could just sit on that balcony and get lost basically and i wanted to get lost out there but no i had to sit at my sit at my desk and do my work but other than that and the aforementioned stress of new york yankees baseball i am doing fantastic my friend i'm glad to hear that and we're also glad that we're back recording another episode of the diamond duo podcast i think the last time we talked again i know i mentioned it i think it was may because we still had done our may teams of the month in the last episode funnily enough we haven't actually released them until um at le- even re- while recording this episode it's june 19th by the way at 11 o'clock at night we still haven't <laughs> released them look at us we're so responsible and stuff Oh, God, but June has gone by incredibly quickly, and we're going to be back in baseball content mode, Tony. So we're going to hopefully, hopefully maybe record every week until the end of the season and into the postseason, obviously, but we'll see. There's other things to get in the way sometimes, but we're back. That's all that matters, and hopefully we'll uh, be back forever. I don't know. (laughs) Well, we definitely are back, and we're going to continue to be back now through the end of the season. So uh, you actually already mentioned one of the disclaimers. I was about to jump into that, but you already mentioned it. We're recording on the 19th at approximately 11 o'clock in the p.m. We're going night owl mode on the Diamond Duo podcast, or Diamond Duo After Dark, if you will. Um, And the second and most important disclaimer, not really, but still, is to go follow us on social media. Oh, like yeah. Tom said, we're a bunch of lazy bums. We didn't get the teams of the month graphic out yet, but to be fair, <laughs> we were on vacation. We were on vacation, and we will talk about that. But, yeah, go follow us on social media, 
at Pod on Twitter, the Damaduo Podcast on Instagram. Back up, by the way. Oh, yeah, dude. I don't, yeah, I don't think we ever uh, uh, talked about that at all on the podcast. Our Instagram got suspended randomly. <laughs> we got a notification one day. Like, we're both at work. Like, I'm at least at work. Tony's at home. We both got the notification. Or Tony tried to text me or I called him. We're like, what the f*** happened? Because we literally did nothing. Nothing wrong. And we just get the notification, your account has been temporarily suspended for violating our terms of service. And they wouldn't specify exactly what we violated in those terms. I'd also like to point out, I later downloaded our information. Nobody hacked into our account and was like posting porn or anything, which is really good. Because we all know that's all all over social media nowadays with the stupid sex bots that are hopefully going to be eliminated on Twitter. But, um... That was a ridiculous process in itself. I remember specifically Tony from this, and then we'll get back to our vacation and all that stuff that we can recap. What was it that they called it, like, how you had to verify your information? Normally, you, like, text a phone number or something like that, and, like, you get a code. Well, we had to do that. And then they said, no, 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 no. That's not the only way you have to verify yourself. You have to do, oh, this is what it was called, a verification selfie. That's where you it. have to take a piece of paper, write down your full name and your Instagram handle on a clean sheet of paper, take a picture of it, and send it to them. It's something I've never seen before. I'm like, what kind of fucking bullshit is this? Just let me post my goddamn graphics, you fucking hacks. Ah. Oh. God, so that happened, but we did get our account back because they said, oops, our bad, we didn't mean to suspend your account, we're just stupid because we're Instagram. Ugh, thanks Mark Zuckerberg, you f***ing asshole. I was about to bring him up, I feel like that was his way of testing us, like keeping us on our toes, like, hey, you want this Instagram account, don't you? And now, you know what, now he's got your selfie in the f***ing database because Tom's the one who took it, Tom did that i think you wrote both our names on the little napkin or the paper or whatever it is yes and hey it it was enough like we were on the phone and i'm like dude there's no way they're gonna a do it quickly if at all and b like how would they discern like oh yeah this is legit this is definitely the podcast or rather the account we think that they're running i no apparently it worked we were back up like two days later i got the email and i almost didn't believe it (laughs) <laughs> like, we posted something on our own personal stories about it, and like, I don't know about you, Tom, but I got, like, condolence messages. I got, like, that's really f***ed <laughs> up. I'm sorry, dude. I got that's those, too. bullshit. And, like, two days later, I had to go back and say, hey, they listened. We got it. I don't know. Maybe... I like to believe, Tom, that it was our stories on Instagram, because I, I don't know about you, but I called them out. I added them and everything. So, that was a fun little two-day span. Oh, it sure was a very fun two-day spam. But you know what's even more fun, Tony? That's going on vacation with you and the boys. So, where do we even begin? Because we hit up Myrtle Beach, and we also hit up Atlanta to see the Mets get absolutely shelled by the Atlanta Braves, which I'm not going to lie if I didn't say I didn't take any sort of solace into that. I was smiling. I was rooting for the Braves. <laughs> and meanwhile, our one Mets friend, <laughs> our Mets uh, friend was uh, not very happy throughout the game because of his team's performance. It was a very good sport about everything. I will give uh, Andrew that. But uh, where do we start, Tony? I mean, might as well start with the Braves game since we are already knee-deep into it. I kind of opened the episode into it. <laughs> um, 
But no, number one, props to Andrew. I honestly felt a little bad at some point because I think it was around the time Sean Murphy hit that home run and you and I both got up. Tom went crazy because he's on his fantasy team. I went crazy because Matt Olson scored and Matt Olson is a wonderful, beautiful human being. Uh, so we were we were standing over each other. It was the four of us. Us two were on the end, so we had to reach over our sulking Mets fan to high-five the whole run that the Mets just gave up. And I got, like, second-hand when I sat down, like, oh, crap. He probably feels like such shit right now. I felt no shame. I would like to point that out. <laughs> but no, it was a damn good game. Like, all in all, honestly, Tom, it had a little bit of everything, because even though Scherzer got shelled in, like, the fifth or whatever it was, he struck out ten batters, Charlie Morton threw a good game, a bunch of Mets players came through in big ways, like, I know Francisco Alvarez went yard, I'm pretty sure Brandon Nimmo had a clutch knock, uh, and obviously, the Braves, Sean Murphy, I already mentioned, Michael Harris was a f***ing animal that game, he had, like, a 460-foot tank, and he made a game-saving catch, like, running into the wall, so, that was insane, but... <laughs> Tom, to bring it back to uh, my intro, I feel yes. like you could speak to this a little better because you're the one who actually heard it. <laughs> yes, I uh, did. What exactly happened on your end of the of the row there? So I believe this is when Charlie Morton plunked Pete Alonso the day after Pete Alonso made some comments about the Braves or the Braves took offense to him pimping a home run or something like that. It wasn't on purpose. Morton later apologized. Doesn't stop him from being my most hated player in baseball right now because Pete Alonso got taken out immediately after getting plunked with the first or second pitch that he saw in that at-bat in the bottom of the first. Needless to say, we were all very upset. And I'm not going to say who it was to avoid incrimination, but one member of our group shouted something along the lines of, F*** you, Charlie Morton, you suck! <laughs> It was like shouting, shouting obscenities and stuff like that. And mind you, in New York, you're not going to get any side eye whatsoever. People will high five you and will <laughs> applaud you for the terrible things that come out of your mouth. Down in the <laughs> South in Atlanta, by the way, beautiful ballpark, Truist. It's one of my favorite ballparks, oh, yeah. by the way, down there. Well, we were up in the 300s and we were surrounded by um, children and stuff like that and families with children. And after the second or third time, this uh, person in our group... Uh, shouted some obscenities. Some grandma <laughs> turned around and is like, you guys need to watch what you're saying. Self-control. Self-control. She was really emphasizing the self-control part of the entire <laughs> thing. And uh, <laughs> and we apologized because I was like, okay, we're not going to have this anymore. So we apologized and we said, yeah, we'll do self-control. Meanwhile, we were still cursing to ourselves, of course, because what else will we do? Two minutes later goes by and somebody else in our group that didn't hear the grandma yell at us shouted more obscenities. I'm like... <laughs> And that was that was gold, by the way. <laughs> Comedy gold. I'm like, what the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> I, I, in my head, I'm like... <laughs> uh. It was so funny, too, because the second one had nothing to do with Charlie Morton. I'm pretty yes. sure, again, this, this unnamed individual saw Shaw Murphy strike out in a critical point of the game. I think it might, I think it might have been the first inning. And Scherzer got him swinging. And this, again, unnamed individual screamed out something along the lines of, Let's go, Sean Murphy! Eat <laughs> Very loud. Very pronounced. Very clearly 
from out of town. And dude, I, I didn't tell this part of the story on the trip or to you, but there was a kid sitting like right next to me with his brother and his dad. The kid looks over, like looks over me to see this unnamed individual screaming that. And I'm like left stuck in the middle with my, like burying my head in my hands and going, oh my God. That makes it infinitely better. I would like to point out. <laughs> Like, oh. there's a part of me that felt like, you know, like, felt a little bad that these folks were, I, I suppose, taken aback by it, because I can't imagine loud New Yorkers are welcome anywhere other than New York. I, I say you not even being a New Yorker, but, eh, close enough. But also, it was pretty funny. Oh, it was hilarious. Like I said, comedy gold. The Braves went on to win, obviously, that game, because the Mets, I believe, were in the middle in, of, a, like, a five or six game losing streak at that point. So that was great. We got to see Max Scherzer pitch, future Hall of Famer, got absolutely shelled in the fifth inning. Got to see some uh, a few tomahawk chops um, with the pitching changes by the Mets. That was f***ing electric, I would like to point out. The whole stadium, like, the lights turn off and they start, like, flashing and everybody's doing the tomahawk chop and all that stuff. It's pretty intimidating if you're a pitcher coming into the game. But at any rate, that was great. The game was fun. Again, great ballpark. We got our uh, be- our bat beers finally that we've been long trying to get. Also, it was an Austin Riley bobblehead night. So that made it even better that we got our bobbleheads. Didn't think we were for a second because where we were in line, uh, we got shoved to the side, let's say, by a parking attendant. And uh, we almost got uh, sent back to the back of the line. But then a few of us and um, some other fans were like, yeah, this is not happening. And we probably cut like half the line, but that doesn't matter because we were there first. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We weren't rude. We were just opportunistic. Plus, it led to us getting a pretty sick bobblehead, so I'm not going to complain. Yes. So no, Atlanta was fantastic. Stadium was beautiful. I like to echo that. That Truist is honestly a fantastic park. If you haven't been, I'd highly recommend it. But funny thing, Tom, that's not the only baseball we experienced in this trip, isn't that no, right? No, it wasn't. This one was a little more off the cuff, too. Like, the Atlanta trip, we planned well in advance. Like, a number of times when we were done recording this show, we would stay on a little while after and say, hey, let's book an Airbnb or let's book a hotel for Atlanta. Let's get the seats for Atlanta. Thoroughly in advance, knew it was going to happen. When we got there, what we weren't aware of was the College Baseball World Series was going on. Or what is what is it exactly? It's not the World Series. It was like the qualifier round or whatever it is. Yeah, it's the qualifier round. Right now they're in the College World Series out in Omaha, but this was one. This was the first round. So like the round of sixty four, you can almost think of it as. Gotcha, gotcha. So yeah, the beginnings of the World Base at the World Baseball Classic. Good job, idiot. Jesus. The College Baseball World Series. Yeah, I'm thoroughly versed in college baseball. Can't you tell? Or at least in Sean's baseball because. To those who know college ball, the tournament was being held at Coastal Carolina, or at least part of the tournament, obviously. And the game in particular that we got the chance to see, because our condo was about a half hour drive from the university, was mm-hmm. Coastal versus Duke. And it was a good f***ing game. Like, I've got no ties to either team. I didn't give a sh- who won, who lost. I just wanted to see a solid game. It was do or die for the Shaunts, the Chanticleers. They're the mascot of Coastal Carolina. And they killed duke like duke battled back at one point but they just pulled away towards the end of the game it was damn fun (laughs) honestly really entertaining i got my favorite college baseball team now because i cards on the table i don't follow it normally but most importantly i've got a favorite player and he's not even on the shots 
This was Duke center fielder. Oh, what was his first name? Giovanni Di Giacomo, the Gindaloon legend himself. And the f***ing public address announcer kept calling him Di Giacomo. If you see that spelled, it's D-I-A-D-G-A. Oh, no. D-I-G-A. I'm not going to spell it because I'm- G-I-A. Come on now. You're Italian. You should know this. C-O-M-O. I am Italian. I'm just an idiot, too. Well, that, um, that's true. And he called him Di Giacomo. I honestly, I was like f***ing wincing in my seat, like you stupid gavoon. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go up there and say his name right. This is like if you pronounce Vinny Pasquantino's name wrong. That's that's how you push my buttons. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, but go Shans, baby. That was electric. I actually didn't know their closer was actually. I played his team and him in states in high school, and we f***ing trampled them in the first round on route to a uh, state uh, title game that we unfortunately lost to one of the top teams in the state. But it was cool to see that guy actually doing really well at Coastal because there was a, some fans there that were surrounding us and he was saying he was their closer. He's been dominant all year. And I'm like, hell yeah. So that's really cool. Uh, his name is Teddy Sharkey, by the way. He's really, really good. Um, and was very good in high school too, I'd like to point out. I'm not going to discount the player. I just discount his uh, school because I hated them. So, go Shantz. Uh, that was great. The tickets were incredibly cheap. I think they were like 20 bucks. We bought them on the game day and we were like pretty much like nearly behind home plate, like in the second or first row. That was amazing. We pounded some beers. It was great. We tailgate, we tailgated the game. Fantastic game. Fantastic atmosphere. Go shots. That was incredible. And spur of the moment, like you said. Oh yeah, no, it was honestly credit to our buddy Andrew who just thought of it out of the gate. Like, hey, do you want to go? And all of us who love baseball just kind of said, sure, why not? <laughs> so that was like our first night there and they happened to be a coastal the second night. So that actually worked out perfectly. Can't speak to what happened the day after that to the Shans because that'll just make me sad. Uh, although it will make me happy that Dijo Como was happy that his team went on. Paisans helping Paisans. That's all I could say. But yeah, no, that was the trip, the long and short of it anyway. We could keep going on forever and ever, but hey, we got a show to do. And let's be real, Tom, we have not recorded in two weeks. We've got a ton to catch up on. It honestly, build, building this rundown was one of the most intimidating yet because I had to scroll so far back on Twitter, <laughs> on the MLB app, on like MLB trade rumors, everything I could find. Like, okay, did I miss anything? And let's be real, I probably did, but... I think I got most of the big ones. I got the big ones. We'll just rattle through these, get all y'all caught up, and then we'll call it a day. Nothing too, too special. Just a quick, good to see you again. Here's what everything, here's what we missed. As they say in the South, darn tootin'. Let's get into it. I've never heard anybody say darn tootin' <laughs> in my life, I'd like to point out, except on TV or cartoons. So darn tootin', let's f***ing go. Let's get started with our major headlines of course, and we're going to start things off with the damn Oakland, soon-to-be Las Vegas Athletics again. Yes, I know. We've pretty much highlighted the A's probably four out of the last five episodes, if I'm not mistaken. And I don't even need to look back. I know that's pretty much a fact at this rate. But essentially, we're going to catch you guys all up on the things that are going out in uh, Northern California at the moment. First off, they have a deal. They are going to be in Las Vegas. That's pretty much confirmed. The governor, I think, has to sign off on it or already did. So that's pretty much a guarantee already. 
I'd also like to point out it was a carousel trying to get the deal because at first it's like, yeah, they have a deal. And now it's, no, we don't. And then they're like, yeah, we do. So circle of life, I guess, if you're the uh, Oakland Athletics. The big thing that they did actually the day of that I believe Las Vegas in Nevada pretty much approved of this thing, of this uh, deal going through was the Oakland reverse boycott, which I would like to point out was absolutely hilarious and a big round of applause to the loyal, devoted Oakland Athletics fans. You guys brought it that night, and we are very, very proud of you here on the Diamond Duo Podcast. You guys do not deserve this team being moved. You just deserve a better owner who actually gives a about competing and more or less just spending money and putting it into the team. I guess he's never heard of something called a return on investment before. Then again, he's going to go to Las Vegas and make a ton of money, so John Fisher. any rate, there are 27,000 fans, by far the most in Oakland. I think they've only gotten up to like nine or 10,000 this year in the past, if that, because I hope they've been making a loss at these games. But they started chanting, sell the team in the fifth inning, like, they were pretty much doing it the whole game. I remember at one point they broke, I think this actually was in the fifth inning, they broke into silence, because I know they had planned out, like, a bunch of different (laughs) cheers and stuff throughout the game. They had all the t-shirts on, and it was great. I remember in the fifth inning, it was just completely silent, and then once the first batter or the first out was made, everybody started chanting, sell the team! Sell the team! And it got so loud that the pitcher on the mound thought his earpiece was broken because of just how loud the Oakland fan base was. He couldn't probably hear out of it at all because they were yelling, sell the team so loud. Probably some other things with obscenities in there, but I'm trying not to f***ing use the sensor. There you go. That's the start of the Oakland uh, boycott and all that stuff. Tony, I will let you tell the other half of the story because it gets even more interesting. So it does get quite a bit interesting because uh, the A's and the league itself have responded to this this debacle going on with the A's in probably the worst way imaginable. And I'm talking about the A's themselves and Rob Manfred, which, huh, surprise, Rob Manfred's making an ass of himself on a national stage. Again, haven't heard this story since all the f***ing time. Let's go to strike one. Uh, Strike one is the Oakland Ball Club stating that all revenue from this game, the reverse reverse boycott game, (laughs) uh, was going to go to charity. Now, normally, if you get a game where, you know, oh, all proceeds go to charity, you know, it lights up your heart a little bit. You think, oh, wow, that's so philanthropic and selfless of them. That's great. Wow. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, how about the fact that uh, this is the most profitable day from a ticket sales standpoint in, uh, uh, let's, I don't even want to say recent Oakland A's history because you've still got the 2019 wildcard game, for instance. Yeah, you have one of the most lucrative days in recent memory for the A's and not a cent of it is going to the A's. <laughs> I just find that really ironic. This is just, like, that's money that could, in theory, keep the A's in Oakland, but no, John Fisher John Fisher f***ing hates you, and he hates your dreams, and he likes money. So, any sort of goodwill that could have gone towards the city is now dead. As if there was any goodwill towards the city to begin with. Uh, I mean, not to fully defend Oakland, it's low-key a shithole, but that doesn't excuse John Fisher for being a shithole owner, or Rob Medford for being a shithole commissioner. I'm actually going to pull up exactly what this clown said, because, Tom, I'm going to be honest, this is one of the biggest jokes I've ever seen out of a professional in a 
sporting, like a professional sports environment like I've ever seen. Like what he said is kind of baffling. So this was in regards to the reverse boycott as a whole. He was asked about it, what he thinks of it. And this is the exact, this is the exact answer he gave quote for quote. I mean, it was great. It is great to see what is this year almost an average Major League Baseball crowd in the facility for one night. That's a great thing. The fact that he adds in almost an average Major League club. like That to me says like, oh, how cute. Your big effort could only muster a fraction of what this sport is capable of. Like, you're really going <laughs> to twist the knife for these fans and this fan base haven't they been through enough rob jesus christ and by the way shout out to jeff passon who absolutely roasted him on twitter saying this is the sort of comment one might expect from at rob m395920 you know first name bunch of letters and i have terrible opinions type thing not from the commissioner of major league baseball yes jeff i agree rob manfred is a f***ing embarrassment and the handling of the situation has gone so far off the rails as if it was anywhere near the rails to begin with. Now, as crazy as this is, Tom, as crazy as this all is, I'll just throw this out there and then I'll throw it back to you for your thoughts on all this. Mm -hmm. Because I think the most improbable thing in this whole story so far is that when this was all going down, the reverse boycott, all this stupid crap about the stadium and what Manfred ended up saying, the A's were winning. They were winning very consistently, to the tune of seven goddamn straight. To be clear, these weren't even against teams, which to be fair, no team is if you compare it to the A's, but they beat the Pirates, who granted on a skid, and they were the away team, so, you know, mas o menos. They beat the Brewers, who are a division leader, they actually swept the Brewers, I don't know how the hell the Brewers managed that. They ought to get the cone of shame for that one. And then they actually split the series with the Tampa Bay Rays. One of those days, I'm pretty sure it was the reverse boycott that they won. Yep. So they won seven straight. I don't know how the f*** that happened. I literally, I have their calendar pulled up. I have the box scores and I still don't understand. A good chunk of them were by tiny, tiny margins too. But the one last thing I'll say, Tom, and this is kind of salt in the wound, but I just needed to say it. I love how the internet blew up about this. And to be fair, it was a nice story. You know, the whole, oh my God, this is a Moneyball streak. It's happening again, everybody. You know, look out. Which obviously it wasn't, but everyone was doing it just to get behind Oakland. You know, their fans need their fans need as much support as they can get. But I love the fact that this became a whole big thing on Twitter about this Moneyball winning streak. They won seven straight. It's so great. It brought them to the highs of 19 wins. <laughs> they went, Tom, from a historically bad team to now just your average really bad team. Oakland, I'm proud of you. This has now given us a chance to laugh at the Royals and how bad they are, but I'm pretty sure I didn't put them in the rundown, so we'll save that for another episode. <laughs> oh boy. Now, before I get into my thoughts on this, I would like to point something out that you wrote on the rundown, and I'm glad you did. So, this has nothing to do with the reverse boycott, by the way. Well, it kind of does. But at some point, I guess they were playing the Phillies or whatever like that. And I guess they beat the Phillies. I was going to say, they just tweeted out the lineup card, and I think you were going to go into the tweet itself. So by all means, take it away. Yes. Whatever it was, they tweeted out 
Gotta get down on Friday. Spelt P-H-R-I-D-A-Y in reference to the Phillies. And they put gotta get down on Friday dash Rebecca Black's cousin who is from Philly. Now, obviously this is in reference to Rebecca Black's amazing kit Friday that um, took the internet by storm. Yeah, I, I know you shook your head when I said amazing kit. That's okay. It doesn't have to be your style. It can be some people's style. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but it took the internet by storm in a bad way. Obviously not a great song, but Rebecca Black has kind of overcome that, like, youthful, like, terrible internet meme crap and kind of become her own person and all that stuff. But, um, anyway, it's in reference to that. Well, Rebecca Black tweeted out, I don't have a cousin from Philly. Sell the team. Quote tweeted and everything stuck it to the f***ing a's and that got a ton of likes that was incredible savagery by one rebecca black and i want to go a step further and take a tweet from yahoo sports that will just make this whole thing be put to rest as to why john fisher is a complete dick Rebecca Black has 459,900 I'm sorry. Rebecca Black has 459,098 monthly Spotify listeners. The Oakland A's total attendance this season is 331,805. <laughs> she wasn't about to let Oakland reference her music within getting without getting a word in. AKA Rebecca Black has more monthly Spotify listeners than you do total attendance. At your baseball games this season, John Fisher, get fried. Absolute <laughs> savagery. That made my entire life when I saw that tweet. It's just—it's this crashing of two worlds that I never thought I would see. Like I only heard of Friday from Rebecca Black. I didn't even know she was still singing. I might check out her music after that. Like mother of God, if she's that much of a Goddamn savage. Hey, might as well. At least, at least we know she knows ball to an extent <laughs> that John Fisher's a hack. So, yeah, good on her. Absolutely f***ing torch the A social media guy, though. Now, actually into my thoughts about the uh, second half of this thing. So, number one, and Tony probably said this, but I'm going to repeat it anyway. No one saw through what the A's were trying to do by saying, oh, this game is going to be a charity game. How stupid do you think we are? John Fisher is literally saying, ha, ha, I see what you're doing. Let me wipe my ass with your money. The $800,000 that I made from this game, I'm going to shove it off to charity. Well, guess what? I'm pretty sure I was looking for the tweet, but somebody did the math. And eight hundred k per game would net him about $50 million a season in revenue just from games, which is more than the Oakland A's payroll this year, which climbs in at about $45 to $46 million. So wipe your own ass with your own money, John Fisher. Don't just give it... I Like, I get you're making a charitable effort. That's fine. But we didn't... We all saw what you were doing here, you dumbass. Now, Commissioner Manfred... Somehow, that's not even the most incriminating thing that he said in his tenure. I would like to refer back to the World Series is just a piece of metal discussion that we had back in 2020 or 2019, whenever the Houston allegations came out. But he said he thought it was cute 
that the A's only drew 27,000 people. Yet, you're going to approve a only 30,000-seat venue for the Las Vegas Athletics, and you're going to be like, that's cute, that's only average, 27,000. That's nine-tenths of the stadium in Las Vegas. I get you'll outdraw the Miami Marlins and the Pittsburgh Pirates, the Cincinnati Reds, the Baltimore Orioles, and any other small market team. But really, mother You're going to kill that cute. And you're going to approve the smallest ballpark in baseball that the A's won't even own because they're so cheap and couldn't work out a damn deal because they're ass backwards in their approach and had to do it last minute so they couldn't get their 56-acre land. No, they're going to lease a nine-acre site on the site of a failing casino. I love irony. That's that's all I'm going to say. I could go on, but I'm going to save my anger for another day. I know he's not going to sell the team. It's going to happen. Oakland will never forgive Rob Manfred. I will never forgive Rob Manfred for that. It's just heartbreaking to what's happened to Oakland, but at least they're getting their shots in while they can. Absolutely. I frankly think this season has done a better job of making new A's fans than John Fisher could ever f***ing dream. Everyone's in the corner of the Oakland A's fans. It does suck what they're going through. Um... (laughs) One more little jab at Manfred here. I love that 30000 for him is cute. Tom, do you think that stadium is ever going to be filled to capacity right away? The team's not just going to magically be good the second they move to Vegas. And Vegas fans will probably be apathetic when they've got the f***ing Knights and the Raiders to watch. At least, comparatively so. The Knights just won a cup. You know, I know it's still a few years down the road. I believe their target year is 2028 for when they want to be there. Uh, which, again, puts them in limbo for 2025 to 2027. We've talked about that before, and it's still hilarious to me. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's just a goddamn mess. Here's hoping something, some kind of miracle happens, but it's not going to. It's just a shitty situation through and through. You know what? Speaking of a shitty situation through and through, Tom. Ah, jeez. Let's talk about probably one of the most heart-wrenching stories that's gone down. Over the past two weeks, I think this actually dropped when we were still in uh, still in South Carolina, and that's Steven Strasburg, and the very likely end to his career. The Nationals have recently shut him down due to what is being described as severe nerve damage caused by the thoracic outlet surgery he had to endure and a recent stress fracture in his rib that took him out of commission last year. Yeah, uh, thoracic outlet surgery, in case you folks don't know, that is when the blood cells between your collarbone and your first rib start to compress, and they start to expand, which can cause, number one, a lot of f***ing pain, number two, numbness up and down your arm, and number three complete, like, no feeling at all in your fingers, i.e. conditions that are impossible to pitch through. Now, these are all the worst-case scenario for thoracic outlet surgery, but for a guy like Strasburg, who has been up and down the injury list his entire career, it looks a little bleak as to whether or not he'll even pitch again. I mean, hell, just look at quotes from Davey Martinez and Strasburg himself. They both seem so 
I, 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 clueless seems like a rude word, but clueless, they have no idea where they're going to go with this. If the nerve pain does go away, you got to hope that it doesn't trigger another stress reaction. If it doesn't go away, then he'll never be the same. If he ever, even does pitch. So it's a really, really unfortunate situation. And if it does actually spell the end to his career, then it's just a disgustingly tragic way to end what I'd easily consider one of the best pitching careers of the 2010s so far. Yeah, it's just a real shame because about 13 or so years ago, he debuted with the Washington Nationals after being taken first overall and quickly ascended into the Nationals because they needed a face of the franchise, and Steven Strasburg provided that. Unfortunately, his career has just been derailed by injury after injury after injury. But, I mean, he was still able to become one of the most successful pitchers of the 2010s, whether we like it or not. And his career is going to ultimately go down as one of the biggest what-ifs in Major League Baseball. Because, guys, he's a three-time All-Star. He somehow won a Silver Slugger. God bless him. He won the Nationals because he and them beat the Astros, which is fantastic. Obviously, that World Series MVP like Tony alluded to. He was only pitched in about 250 games. He only had, I'm trying to see, maybe three, four, or five full seasons. Like, he only had one, two, three seasons where he even pitched 30 games or more in his career. Which is really, really sad. And he's only pitched in eight games ever since that magical 2019 season and that magical run that he had with the Nationals en route to the World Series. He got the bag. Yeah, he signed that seven-year, $245 million deal that the Nationals are going to have to eat up. They'll probably get some of that money back, I'm assuming. What matters is that Steven Strasburg is able to just live a happy and healthy life with his family after baseball. And if they're fearing for his career now, it can only be worse for the rest of his life if he tries to even continue to pitch and he screws up his arm even more. It's not an injury that's a matter of life or death, but it's of one that could maybe cost him down the line if he tries to even have a catch, say, with his son or his daughter or anybody later in life. If he can't do that and he can't use that right arm for whatever reason, it's an ultimate tragedy. It's just an ultimate shame. So hopefully he'll be able to have some semblance of a life after baseball if this really is it for Steven Strasburg. And it sucks because he's only 34 years old, which is hard to fathom that he is actually 34. But he had a hell of a career too. So it it sucks to see him go down. It's just honestly a really sad story about one of the most hyped baseball prospects of all time, mind you. I believe him and Harper ended up being on the cover of Sports Illustrated at one point. Maybe it was just Harper. I'm pretty sure Strasburg got the same treatment. He was hyped up to be like a god. Ultimately, I'll look back on memories of Steven Strasburg in a very happy way, but if this is it for him, it's just a damn shame. But at least, even though he pitched in eight games coming back, let's be honest, at least he went out on top. If that's the last full season he's going to have, the road to recovery is brutal because, again, he's only pitched eight games from 2020 to now. But let's look back on it as he stopped in 2019. After that World Series, winning the World Series MVP, that would be all that matters. It's been a great career for Steven Strasburg. I would hope it could continue, but if it's a matter of really going to give him trouble outside of baseball, I think it's it. Here's hoping it's not, but if it is, 
keep that World Series MVP, that top three Cy Young finish, that National League strikeout crown, keep that at the forefront. Keep that 2010 debut at the front of your mind when you think of Strasburg. Not the contract, not the injuries. He deserves so much more than that for what he gave to the game and what he gave to DC. So here's hoping for the very best for Steven Strasburg. Now, Tom, that is not the only injury that we've missed. Oh, yes. Past two weeks. Quite frankly, I don't even know if it's the most severe to a pitcher. It's definitely up there. Uh, You can argue maybe since there's no definite recovery, it's a tad more severe. It could be career ending. But there's another pitcher at the tippy top of this list that's uh, becoming Steven Strasburg 2.0 when it comes to injuries. What say we jump right into this list and start banging out some names, huh? Let's go for it. And if you had to take a guess... Like, just for anybody listening, at to who we could be possibly thinking about, you probably already know who it is, because again, this happened probably two weeks ago, but just take a guess at the most injured pitchers in baseball, and guess who we're going to be talking about, where we're talking about career prominence and everything, except this guy is even more accomplished than Steven Strasburg. And Tony, who is that individual? Drum roll, please. I bet you would never have gotten it, even though, like Tom said, it happened two weeks ago, and you probably know it anyway. Jacob deGrom. Jacob deGrom, the former Met current Ranger, needs Tommy John surgery. That is absolutely brutal. For a guy like deGrom, who has literally not pitched a full season, I mean, again, you could... Definitely lean more towards Strasburg's end when it comes to sympathy of how much time he's lost, but DeGrom has not pitched a full season since 2019. Again, like Strasburg. I mean, I guess 2020, you can count the shortened season. He actually almost won the Cy Young that year. I almost forgot about that. But 2021 was on a Bob Gibson-type trajectory, cut down in the middle of the season. Last year, attempted a comeback, and I forget exactly what was ailing him. I think it was his elbow. Done for the season. Barely even made it past 60 innings. Uh, This year, made, how many games did he start in? Six whole starts. 30 innings was great. 160 ERA plus, and he's gone. Just immediately gone. This man cannot catch a break. And it sucks so bad to see. I just want one more year, Tom. I want one year where he starts and finishes like he did in 2021. I want to see that ridiculous. Ridiculous record-breaking season from DeGrom that may actually push him into Hall of Fame consideration, which, let's be fair, coming off of Tommy John this late in your career with an already dicey Hall of Fame chance, there's no shot it happens. This is not a Justin Verlander case. Uh, What makes that even harder is the fact that, as you pointed out in the rundown, his goal right now is to return in August of 2024. That is 14 months away. And mind you, that's not like, oh, that's not the team doctor saying, oh, realistically, we can expect him back in 14 months. That's Jacob deGrom saying, realistically, 14 months looks likely. Where in reality, you got to imagine there's a chance for a setback, a chance for just a little extra rest. This could very well knock him out for the next two seasons completely. If this ends up being worse than we initially think. But no, just really unfortunate for the Rangers and more so DeGrom. Just can't catch a break. It sucks for DeGrom mostly because, again, as you mentioned, he is a Hall of Fame talent. And 
it's going to be another what-if situation. What if Jacob deGrom never had to undergo Tommy John surgeries? What if he never got hurt? And I think the answer to that would have been easily all of Famer. And you can argue he was one of the most dominant pitchers ever. At the very least, 21st century. Maybe not ever if you're going to consider all the numbers, because again, he's not going to accumulate all the wins, because nobody can ever score when he's pitching on the mound. But dude racks up strikeouts. His ERA plus is always stud-like. His ERA is always down. His career high ERA in the season is 353, and that was back in 2017 before his first Cy Young season. And even then, he had 239 strikeouts that year, and that was still a pretty good season at the age of 29. Now he's going to be... Now, (laughs) funnily enough, it's actually his birthday today. So happy birthday, Jacob deGrom, while we're talking about (laughs) this very, very uh, badly. It's going to be his birthday for the next 10 minutes here because we're approaching midnight on this recording. A little Diamond Duo After Dark action for you, if I may. So uh, happy 35th birthday, by the way, Jacob deGrom. But, um... (laughs) Yeah, if your goal is to come back in 14 months from now, that's not good. Now, Tony, what was Bryce Harper's injury? Was that an ACL injury or was that Tommy John surgery? I forget. I think it was an. I think it was an ACL. I think it was too. It was something of a similar nature, but he did come back pretty quickly. Gotcha. Because I was about to say, if that was Tommy John, I was about to make a comparison and be like, "Listen, you just got to talk to Bryce Harper's doctor." But clearly, an ACL and a Tommy John are two different injuries. For multiple reasons, one of which is that one's in a leg and one's in the arm, but the recovery times for both are just completely different. In ACL, the recovery has sped up, and but the Tommy John surgery, it's always been at least a year that you're out for before you can recover. Hopefully one day that'll be lower to maybe like six or seven months, but I'm not a doctor, and so that probably won't happen, but... 14 months, that's not good. That's more than a year. Because usually you hear at least nine months with Tommy John, and they're kicking in the extra five here for Jacob deGrom, which will take him just about near the halfway point of his contract with the Texas Rangers. Again, signing that five-year, $185 million deal. He'll be a free agent in 2027. He has a mutual option for 28. But it's looking like a terrible, terrible signing for the Texas Rangers. I knew what they're, we all know what they were trying to do and they're winning without him, which God bless him, but he's still going to be on the payroll, which is going to be very, very bad for you as you now try and build up your team with even more talent. That being said, when Jacob deGrom is on the field, he'll be incredible. And he was already incredible to start the year, 45 strikeouts compared to four walks in the 30 innings that he threw is great. What's not great is he can never stay healthy. And it just doesn't look like health and Jacob deGrom are ever going to be synonyms again for probably all of eternity, at least through his pitching career in Major League Baseball. So that's all we can probably say about Jacob deGrom. But now we have to go into an arguably more painful injury, specifically to the heart of one Tony Puglisi, as one of his Italian brethren and Paisans, a brother from another mother, is going to be hurt for a very long time. That will take him out the rest of the season. Tony, I'm going to cue the sad Italian music. You go on. I need all the sad Italian music in my life. This is going to be my theme song for the next couple days. Because, I know, this, just, this hurts too f- much. 
much. My 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 Gindle Loom is coming out right now, Tom. That's how you know I'm serious. <sighs> Let's just rip the band-aid off. Vinny, the Italian breakfast himself, Pasquantino. The savior of the Royals. My favorite name in baseball history, the Don of SWAT himself is done for the season. They got him. They f whacked him. He tore his labrum. <laughs> they whacked him. He tore his labrum. Yeah, he didn't die. This isn't a mom movie. Jesus. <laughs> I'm playing it up. I got to. We got the music playing in the background. It's got to be over dramatic, which it's, if it's still going now, this is probably hilarious with a goddamn comedy skit over it. But no, I'll drop the act. Torn labrum. He needs surgery to repair it. I believe he's actually undergone the surgery already, but it will take him out for the remainder of 2023 and it's a shame too he started turning it on started the year a little slow just couldn't really barrel the ball very well but in the last couple games he played played really well ended with an OPS plus over 100 got himself nine home runs almost matched last year's total in fewer games not the greatest season of all time but hey you know what he was definitely looking to improve in the second half of the season so huge blow to the Royals who were already terrible with a plus hitter on their team. Without him, I don't even want to think about it, Tom. They might end up worse than the A's if they play their cards right. But obviously the biggest casualty is uh, my soul. I'm broken and now I may never be whole again. That I won't be able to watch Vinny Pasquantino highlights when I go to sleep. Well, just like Vinny Pasquantino's season, the Royals' season is gabagon. Because the Royals are now officially worse than the Oakland Athletics, because the A's actually decided we're going to be competent for a week. Hope I don't think they're really going to be competent that much further, obviously. But yeah, the Royals have absolutely no shot without Vinny Pasquantino. And I'm going to pull up his numbers right here, but they were all right. But his season really wasn't that impressive, I'm going to be honest with you. He had a completely even war in terms of he had zero war. He put up nine home runs and 26 RBIs. Sure, that's all right through 60 games. Slash of 247, 324, 437. OPS plus of 109. Nothing too incredible, unfortunately, for you, Tony. Still, that looks leaps and bounds better than what the Royals got going for them right now. If you just take a look, oh my god, they're 19 and 52. Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when Michael Garcia is leading you in terms of war, and this dude's only played 38 games, and he's accumulated one war, 1.0, that's not good. When a 39 or 40 year old Zach Granke has the fourth most war on your team, that's not good. And he's got an ERA of 481. When your starting pitcher, your ace that you signed in the offseason, Jordan Lyles, is 0 11 with a 689 ERA and a 63 ERA plus, that's not good. The pitching woes are not Vinny Pasquantino's problem, nor are they his fault. That's what I meant to say. But it's just incredibly obvious this team is going to suffer without the Pasquatch. So. We do move on from that because we do have a litany of other injuries that we have to get to. And somehow there's a guy that's even hurt more than Steven Strasburg and Jacob deGrom, arguably. And that's Lance McCullers Jr., who's also done for the year with flexor tendon surgery he's going to be getting if he didn't already get that already. And correct me if I'm wrong, I don't believe he's even pitched a game this year already. So 
He's going to miss another season. He missed 2019 entirely. That may have been Tommy John. I don't honestly remember. He's gotten hurt so much, it feels like. So that's another name that's pretty much gone. Another one that'll be missing the rest of the season. The pitching pool of talent just seems to be getting clawed at before the All-Star break in terms of people that are just going down for the rest of the year. And it sucks because it's always the usual suspects. It's DeGrom, it's Strasburg, McCullers, someone who I forgot to throw on the rundown, Chris Sale. Just went to the 60 day, uh, the 60 day not too long ago. It, it just sucks. You you want these guys to stay healthy, but just some guys are more prone to it. It's the sad reality, but it's it's true. It's not much you could do about it. You can hope he comes back next year. It's not Tommy John, so he should be ready for next year, barring any setbacks. So we'll see. Oh man, you know who else won't see? The San Francisco Giants, because their Arson Judge replacement in Mitch Haniger, he broke his forearm. He broke his forearm pretty bad when he got hit by a pitch. He's going to undergo forearm surgery, and he does not have a timetable. That super sucks. I mean, granted, Hanniger was not providing much on offense to the Giants, and the Giants, as you'll discover later in this episode, are doing quite fine without him, but that still really sucks. They devoted a lot of money to him in the offseason. You want to see a guy like him do well. Yes, $14 million to be exact. Uh, They devote him, and he signed another year with the San Francisco Giants. So, uh, yes, that Arson Judge replacement, eh, yeah, they better bet on on Michael Conforto riding out the rest of the season with uh, good health if they really want to uh, seal the deal and actually have replaced Arson Judge. (laughs) Yeah, just, I'm looking back on Mitch Hanniger's baseball reference page. It's funny to think that in 2021, one, that he was 30 then, now he's 32, but he put up 39 home runs that season too, which I completely forgot about that was even a thing because I'm used to the Seattle Mariners not having any offense whatsoever, but I stand to be corrected. This year, as Tony mentioned, not so good. Negative .3 war, four home runs, 22 RBIs, slash line is 230-281-372, generally not good. But like you said, and we will get into, Giants are doing a-okay without him. A team not doing really good in the grand scheme of things is the Cleveland Guardians. Tony and I both pegged them to win the division easily, and they're not doing that. In fact, they're one of the worst teams in the American League based on their record. And what's not going to help them is Tristan McKenzie. Oh, this is actually better news than I thought it was. I thought he was going onto the 60-day IL. No, no, no. He was taken off the 60-day IL a little bit ago, and he was placed on the 15-day IL for elbow inflammation. So, he'll actually be back sooner, I guess, than expected, at least in my opinion, because I thought he was going to be gone for at least two months a second ago. So, maybe he'll actually help the team win in the near future, because they could surely use a talent like Tristan McKenzie to pretty much anchor that rotation. I mean, hey, I'll throw it out there that I think they need a little more hitting, and if they want to be successful outside of Ramirez and Naylor, Maybe DFA Ahmed Rosario before it's too late, but no, McKenzie got taken off the 60-day after being put on it to begin the season. He made two starts, neither particularly great. Uh, It's got an ERA of 4.50, ERA plus of 94, and now he's going to be shut down again. Hopefully, he'll be able to come back stronger than ever and, you know, fully healthy and put up a season worthy of what he did last season, which I still can't believe he did that last season. He was fantastic last season. He's got the potential to be great. It's just a matter of whether or not his body will agree with him. That is yet to be seen. Speaking of great players held back by their bodies, Jordan Alvarez is a very large human being who hits baseballs a very long way. Mm -hmm. The downside of that is 
folks like that tend to break down a little easier. Actually, evident of the next two players. But Jordan is out at least four weeks with an oblique strain. Just came off one of the best months in his career. Absolutely insane numbers. On the season, he's got a 166 OPS+, plus, which, if you'd believe it, is not a career high. Not It's, it's actually his third highest. He's got 17 dingers, a slugging just under 600. He's having a very Jordan-esque season. It's just a very, very big shame that he'll be shut down for at least a month now. Yeah, my fantasy team surely could have used his back because he was like the fourth best fantasy player in all of baseball this year when he was healthy. Dude was literally, literally pretty much halved his stats of last year already in about half the time, if not less. He played 135 games last year, belted 37 home runs. He hit 17 in 57 games, also drove in 97 RBIs last year in 135 games, 55 RBIs already this year. Um, in 57 games. So dude was on pace for a monster season. And now he's going to be shut down for four weeks. So that's uh, bad news to my heartstrings because of fantasy. The Astros will, cert- will uh, certainly miss him because they're not doing so hot as we'll talk about in a little bit either. In fact, they actually have the same record as the next team we're going to be talking about. But yeah, Jordan Alvarez, it's going to suck. But luckily, I don't think he really plays the field as much, so they can probably just DH him when he comes back, which will help them with an oblique strain. So that's uh, that's at least the good news out of this, is that they can probably take their time a little bit with getting Jordan back once he's healthy, assuming the team is up to snuff. A team that's not up to snuff is the New York Yankees, and that's a not because Aaron Judge is hurt. They just suck overall without Aaron Judge. But Aaron Judge is hurt. Because the Los Angeles Dodgers suck. Sorry, Nicolette. Your field is horse. You didn't put padding in right field. And now you cost me the season of Aaron Judge and the New York Yankees. Suck. I hope your team dies. Oh, God. I don't know why I'm telling this to Nicolette. I'm just trying to tell this to the Los Angeles Dodgers that they can suck. I hope their team dies this year and i hope they finish behind the san francisco giants and the san diego padres and the arizona diamondbacks not the rockies because that would be landing them in hell but if they landed behind the rockies too i wouldn't mind that for taking away my superstar my captain oh captain my captain my heartstrings anyway aaron judge needs a second shot in his foot and remains without a set return date after injuring his foot slash ankle on the wall making a fantastic play in dodger stadium about two maybe three weeks ago not good yeah uh i don't have anything to add to that because if i did i would get very angry and my doctors have advised me to stop talking about the new york yankees when i know i'm on the cusp of getting very very angry about them that's a joke (laughs) don't take that seriously yeah no just really sucks we'll talk about the yankees and how middling they are without aaron judge in a minute but before we move on to our next segment one more injury update and it's actually an anti-injury. Someone's no longer injured, and it's Joey Votto. He made a season debut today, actually, 10 months after receiving surgery to repair his rotator cuff and his biceps, and would you believe it? The son of a bitch went yard. I actually think he drove in three runs, something like that, when the Reds defeated the Rockies, putting their win streak up to eight games, by the way. Sorry, I think it's actually nine games. Thank yeah, you, there nine you games, which is just insane to me don't mind me that's just kind of crazy that the reds are pulling off win streaks like this already 
Uh, let me just pull it up. Joey Votto, yep, two hits, three ribbies, got driven in once, worked a walk. Yeah, Votto's back. Can't guarantee he'll do that every single game. It's not 2021 or 2017, but hey, that a veteran presence in that lineup full of young guys ready to see how their skills translate to the big league level, that, that's going to be a big help, especially a guy like Joey Votto, who's so personable and loved in that clubhouse. That's going to be a big step forward for Cincinnati. Yeah, huge step for Cincinnati, and just great to see Joey Votto, the future school bus driver, raking once again at the big league level. Now, I'm going to hold off on my Reds thoughts because we're going to be talking about another Reds stud in a second, and we're also going to be talking about them in Around the Horn as well. So I'm just going to keep my thoughts at this. Joey Vi- Joey, wow. That was not how- that I was not going to say Joey Votto. I don't know where I was going, but Joey Votto, stay iconic. That's all I got to say. You're my favorite Canadian of all time, outside of Freddie Freeman and Ryan Reynolds. Moving on, we've got other transactions that aren't injuries. These are actually somewhat good things that have happened. Some of them are good. Some of them are bad. Some of them I'm indifferent about. And some of them involve my prediction for the American League Cy Young, just looking better and better by the day. <laughs> Let's start with the Reds because we were just there. Ellie De La Cruz is a goddamn stud of a player. Not only can he run down the first base in probably a sub-four time, as evidenced by what he did in Houston on a hard shot to first base, and then somehow beating that out, and again, getting the first base in a sub-four time. I didn't time it, but it was about four seconds or less, hence being a sub-four time. But Ellie De La Cruz, one of the top prospects in baseball entering the year, is looking every bit the part of it. The 6'5", 200-pound third baseman and shortstop switch hitting phenom already in 11, now 12 games. I'm not going to get all the updated stats because baseball reference doesn't work like that. At the time we're recording, he has played in 11 games, definitely 12, but we're going to say 11. And he's put up 0.4 war. He's stolen six bases already. Six and six for six on the base paths. Good for him. He demolished a home run in one of his first major league games. Uh, he's also hit a triple, two doubles. He's got a clip of 273, 360, and 432. That gives him an OPS plus of 110. That doesn't feel right. But he's just living up to all the hype that is surrounding him, which is great because now the Cincinnati Reds have life which we didn't expect. We thought they would have life in three years when the Luis Castillo trade finally like kicked in and Noel V. Marte was going to be making his MLB debut. But no, the excitement's already here in Cincinnati. And it's starting with Ellie De La Cruz. 110%. This kid is a goddamn walking highlight reel, an absolute freak of nature. Reminds me of O'Neill Cruz a lot. I actually saw some comps being drawn to the two of them when they were both still in the minors. You pretty much hit the nail on the head, Tom absolutely electric player. It's the guy the Reds need. He's, you know, he's that Acuna. He's that Tatis. He's that, he's that Mookie Betts that will galvanize that team to be better once he acclimates himself to the big league level. You're always just fixated on him seeing what he'll do next. So if he could actually develop like he's developing right now for years to come, the Reds are going to be terrifying, man. We'll talk more about that again a little later. So I'll just keep it at this. Keep your eye on Ellie De La Cruz. He's going to be insanely fun. Speaking of insanely fun, we've actually got another prospect debut 
from the top 50, which, by the way, I found this interesting super quick about Ellie De La Cruz. Apparently, he's the number three ranked prospect in baseball. I forgot they updated this recently, but he's number three behind Jackson Chorio of the Milwaukee Brewers and Jackson Holiday of the Baltimore Orioles. So good for him. Hopefully he'll live up to that. Speaking of that, hopefully Henry Davis of the Pittsburgh Pirates will live up to his lofty expectations because today marked his big league debut. He actually played in the game today. I'm going to pull up the box score, even though I should have had that up already, but I'm an idiot. What can I say? I know the Pirates uh, got trounced. I can tell you that much. So that's a start. Oh, they definitely did. I can't say Henry hit a home run or anything like that because the Pirates very much got blanked in very embarrassing fashion. But Henry Davis actually started the game in right field, drew a walk, laced a double. I believe it was in his first at bat, although yes. I might have. I, it wasn't his first at bat. Thank you. Looked really good at the plate. Apparently, the pitch he took for ball four, I I only heard this, I didn't see it, was very close. So, and I like that at the big league level right away is always a good thing. Uh, had, I almost called him hassle because I'm looking at the f top 100 prospects. Henry was drafted first overall, if y'all remember, back a couple of years ago in the Jack Leiter draft. I remember being kind of a surprise that Davis went first overall to the Pirates. But hey, if you want that franchise backstop, in your system, eventually leading your team to greatness. No better time to do it than with a guy like Henry Davis available than in there. Peculiar choice to play him in right field, especially because the Pirates catching depth right now is not good. It's never been good. I can't remember the last time the, Pir uh, the Pirates had a thoroughly good catcher on their team, and I'm not counting that one weird year of Jacob Stallings. So Henry Davis, congrats on the debut. Hopefully it is the start of a very lucrative career. Yes, indeed, for Henry Davis. Uh, as you mentioned, he's apparently a right fielder. He was, he's a natural catcher, as you mentioned. I guess the Pirates are kind of taking up on the Adley Rutschman approach, which the Baltimore Orioles employed starting last year, but they drafted him earlier than Henry Davis, and they saw that, and they said, we have a really talented catcher that is hitting consistently well at the college level. This is back before he was drafted. He had 374, 83, and 663. That was his clip in Louisville in 2021 with 15 home runs and 48 RBIs. That's in 50 games. This season in the minors, he had he played in 51 games across double and triple A. 11 home runs, 30 RBIs, even stole nine bases. Good for him. And a great slash of 284, 433, and 541. Something about top prospect catchers that can get on base in the past two years. And Henry Davis is living up to that, much like Adley Rutschman lived up to the hype. And guess what? That transformed the team. They've been a winning team since he's been on the major league level. Hasn't gotten off to a good start for Henry Davis and the Pirates, but that's not Henry Davis's fault. And also the Pirates... Spoiler alert, are a lot farther away than the Baltimore Orioles were, and currently are. So, just give it some time. Henry Davis will continue to hopefully mash at the Major League level. <laughs> I can't say the same about the next player we're going to be talking about, <laughs> because he was getting mashed instead of him mashing opponents. That's, of course, the Hamburglar himself, Alec Manoa, who... <laughs> <coughs> I'm sorry, I almost died of laughter. Alec Manoa got sent down to the Florida Complex League rookie ball. And we are not over this. We saw that notification when we were going to Top Golf or coming back from it, and we could not believe what we saw. Oh my God, the amount of shit this guy was talking. And 
<laughs> oh, it's sweet irony. And it's the Toronto too, a better team it couldn't have, this couldn't have happened to. Again, my American League Cy Young pick, everybody. Hi, I'm Tom Bauer. <laughs> I suck at picking American League Cy Young pitchers or Cy Young winners, whatever. Yeah, Alec Manoa on the year was god-awful, Tony. Do you want to get into this, or do you want me to pull it up in Marvel and just how bad Mr. Manoa's been? Oh, good sir. You underestimate my swiftness to make fun of Alec Manoa. I've had his baseball reference pulled up the entire time <laughs> just to gawk at these god-awful numbers. He was 1-7. in seven. He only went 56, or sorry, 58 innings. I can't read. But he somehow some way managed to walk 42 batters <laughs> that that not only led the american league that is way too close to a walk per inning it should never be that close oh and by the way 48 strikeouts he almost walked more people than he struck out oh and his era you want to know his era yes it's 6.36 <laughs> And what's even funnier, his FIP, his fielding independent pitching, was higher. It was 6.52, indicating that he was getting lucky and his actual ERA was probably worse. I, let me remind you people, pressure is for tires and clearly not for Alec Manoa because he can't stand the heat in the kitchen hey do you remember all those toronto fans that were saying manoa was better than cole like by a long shot and wasn't even close because cole gave up home runs yeah at least cole wasn't straddling the line of a walk per inning i this tom i'm sorry like like as a human being i want alec manoa to do good i want him to pitch to his fullest abilities because this man was third place in cy young voting last year seeing a fall off this drastic yes. is jarring but I'm sorry, as a Yankee fan, this is so funny to me. Like, you could definitely chalk it up to, like, the pitch clock or something, but on the whole, just wow. We're not going to have the time or wherewithal to get really into this, but I want to know just how terrible of a drop-off. Like, historically, you got to go from being a Cy Young frontrunner to being sent down to rookie ball because you couldn't pitch strikes and when you were they're being sent into the goddamn seats every other at bat jesus christ how can he have possibly gotten this bad i don't know what he was doing in the offseason or maybe he's hurt and we don't know that but clearly not because they wouldn't have sent him to rookie ball i i couldn't even tell you begin to tell you what went wrong with alec manoa but again as a yankee fan I'm smiling so hard because I don't have to see him pitching against the New York Yankees, and I don't have to hear from Toronto Blue Jays fans. Ah, uh, that's incredible. And their team is just as bad as the Yankees are, even though we both have winning records. And yet the Blue Jays look infinitely better on paper at the moment, specifically without Alec Manoa. They actually look better without him this year, surprisingly enough. <laughs> now, a player that's looked a whole hell of a lot better on a different team and no, I'm not talking about Alec Manoa going down to rookie ball. We don't even have his stats on baseball reference about how he's shelling the minor leaguers down there or getting shelled by the minor leaguers down there, the rookies down there. No, no, no. We're talking about Aaron Hicks as a Baltimore Oriole and the revenge tour this man is on. I was joking about a Gary Sanchez revenge tour when he signed with the Mets and the Padres, but Aaron Hicks has taken it to a whole different level and honestly... 
we're all happy to see it. Some Yankees fans aren't because they see him as the second incarnation of the devil, but Aaron Hicks has been incredible as a Baltimore Oriole, not necessarily accumulating all the stats. He's only got two home runs and six RBIs in 16 games, but here's a slash. 327, 441, 551, an OPS plus of 176. This man is raking on a whole new level and sporting a beard too. Good for him, honestly. And we wish him the best of luck because he definitely got a lot more than he should have gotten in New York because he's definitely not the reason why the Yankees are so bad. And it's clearly evident right now because fans can't point the finger at Aaron Hicks anymore. No, no, no. They can point the fingers at 10 other people, but Aaron Hicks is not one of them. What they can point at is the fact that the Orioles, it seems like they fixed his swing about mm, 30 seconds into his tenure there because I thought I heard somewhere along the lines, Tony, that the Baltimore Orioles immediately noticed something in Aaron Hicks' swing that could have been fixed easily. I don't know what that thing is. I haven't seen that many Aaron Hicks highlights or had the wherewithal to want to compare Aaron Hicks' swing to his Orioles' swing this year, compare them side by side, but they sure did fix it, and he's not going to be this good long term, but god damn if it isn't paying off right away. It definitely is and hey as we'll find out later this is not the first time where a very noticeable mistake got under the nose of the yankees hitting coach save that for later either way aaron hicks i honestly as pissed as i want to be that another yankee left the yankees and is doing great i can't be mad at aaron hicks the guy like you said tom just went through so much at yankee stadium clearly wasn't all there clearly just needed a change of scenery and now that he has, he's back to being a serviceable MLBer. It's honestly kind of reassuring to see. Now, if he returns to Yankee Stadium and either he's bitching about the fans or the fans start booing him, then I'm going to get annoyed at whichever party is going to be responsible for igniting a conflict. But still, as it stands, good for him. Could we have used this Aaron Hicks? Yes. Would we have gotten him due to the nature of the team? God, no. So, hey, good for him. He's been more than a serviceable replacement for uh, Cedric Mullins in his time on the IL. Speaking of replacements, Tom, the Kansas City Royals are need are going to need to find a replacement for their <laughs> oh show-stoppingly good outfielder. Oh, because they just cut Jackie Bradley Jr. <laughs> I'm gonna be honest. I feel like first of all, I forgot JBJ was even on the Royals. I, they play him so infrequently, it's kind of easy just to have it slip through the cracks. Number two, do I even need to tell you why? The guy's a defense. Oh my god! I'll read his stats in a minute. The yeah, I, I, did, did you just see his OPS plus at the same time I yes. did? Yes. <laughs> oh boy. Oh, please, you know, I, I don't have much else to add. Just like, hey, do you remember that one time Heim Bloom traded for him and gave away 40 home run threat Hunter Renfro to do it? Oh, good times. Anyway, Tom, please continue, because this is one of the most embarrassing slashes I've ever seen. <laughs> Keep in mind, Jackie Bradley Jr. at one point was an all-star who put up 26 home runs in a slash line of 267, 349, and 486 with an OPS plus of 118. Hold that for a thought. That's when he was 26. Now he's 33. In 43 games, he had 14 hits, one home run, six RBIs, Five walks, 29 strikeouts for a slash of 133, 188, 210. Tony, he had an OPS plus of 10. Not 100, 
That's an average. Ten. One zero. <laughs> Not two zeros. One zero. In the one before that. Ten. That is the most piss poor OPS plus I've seen from a full serviced player possibly ever at this point in the season since I've been looking at OPS pluses. And I think he laps Carson Kelly from last year. Like, I'm curious how Carson Kelly finished his year last year because God awful. I know it was to begin the, oh, oh, Jesus, never mind. Carson Kelly has an OPS plus of negative 79 this year. Don't even look at that. Now, that, now, to be fair, that's in four games, but, oh, God. When you're on Carson Kelly levels of bad, you know something's gone wrong. And, of course, he just so happens to be where offense can never go to thrive, and that's Kansas City in 2023. But, Jesus Christ, how could it have gotten this bad? Like, we know he's not an offensive threat anymore, but, Jesus. Even for the Royals, that's terrible. And you know when you're getting cut. By the 19-win Orioles, because you were hitting as bad. Royals. I, I said Royals. No, you said Orioles. I Close enough. <laughs> you know when you're getting cut by the 19-win Royals. Thank because you. Because your hitting sucks in a lineup filled with awful hitters. <laughs> That's just a kick to the teeth. That's just unbelievably brutal for Jackie Bradley. God damn. You know what's almost as brutal, except... Not really, because this one's at least a little understandable. Getting cut in the middle of the season to make way for your inevitable replacement. That is exactly what happened to Guardians catcher Mike Zunino when he was DFA'd not too long ago to make room for top Cleveland prospect. Uh, He's actually not their number one prospect, uh, but their top catching prospect, Bo Naylor. Mike Zunino, long story short, he had it coming. It's not Jackie Bradley Jr. bad, but it's still 63 OPS plus with a startling number of strikeouts and startlingly little power for a guy whose entire game is predicated on it. A guy who two years ago was a all-star and MVP vote-getter with the Rays after hitting 33 home runs. Tom, do you have his baseball reference pulled up? Mike Zuninos? I do. Alright, don't, don't look at his batting if you haven't already. Because I want you to guess, since his season where he hit 33 bombs, in the past two seasons, how many home runs has he hit? In the past two seasons, uh, I'm going to say five. You were close. It's actually eight. Okay, so it's a little bit better than my (laughs) expectations. Good for him. I mean, he hit five last year alone, so that's still not great. Yeah, also not Uh, good for him because he's actually DFE, but that's besides the point. Yeah, no. It had to happen at some point. Cleveland's offensive woes are very well known. They're hoping a young prospect and brother of incumbent first baseman Josh Naylor will start to turn things around. So sucks for Mike, but hey, congrats to Bo Naylor for finally making your debut. Yeah, one of the top catching prospects in baseball. Getting to, uh, he actually made his debut last year. He played in five games. Uh, he actually got eight at-bats and he struck out in five of them, so that's good. Wow. <laughs> He uh, has struck out in half of the at-bats he has at the pro level, 14 at-bats and 7 strikeouts, so that's not good. But Bo Naylor's potential is very good, plus he's still 23 years old and he's barely licked the major league level. Just give him some time, folks, he'll probably be alright. Worst comes to worst, he's one of another failed prospects that's come out of the Cleveland camp in the past, well, who knows how long. (laughs) Now, moving on to our last transactions, and this is going to be really quick. We have some major news on Long Island because 
Can I get a quack quack? Oh, yes. The Long Island Ducks legend Daniel Murphy signed a ma minor league contract with the Los Angeles Angels after posting ungodly numbers with the Long Island Ducks this year. And better yet, he's not the only Ducks legend that got the call up to the minor league system. I'd like to imagine that Adeni Echeverria is replacing Jackie Bradley Jr. somehow on the secondary roster because he signed a minor league contract with the Royals after appearing for the Long Island Ducks this year. And of course, this comes close to our hearts because Tony and I have called baseball for the Long Island Ducks before. So, and obviously Tony lives on Long Island. I just happened to go to school there, but it just holds a special place in our hearts just for laughs, really. It definitely does. And hey, for like the three people that enjoy going to Long Island Ducks games, that is going to suck not being able to see Daniel Murphy for cheap. <laughs> and I guess for the WRHU students that don't get to have his name as a drop anymore, that is probably really depressing. They've got to play the other ones, including the one whose name I won't say. That's really, really funny. <laughs> but people who are listening, if RHU people are listening, you know who it is. Yes, but at least you still have your bacon on a stick, which Tony knows very much about. Oh, don't get me started. I will fill the <laughs> entire episode with bacon on a stick rants. <laughs> uh, that's an oh, inside joke that we may or may not tell at some point on this podcast's history, <laughs> but not tonight because it's 1230 and we still have to go through around the horn. Jesus Christ. Exactly. All I'll say about Murphy and Hechevaria, they both last played in 2020, both very washed, both very past their prime, and yeah, they'll be called up, maybe. If not, they'll probably just go straight back to retirement. I just wanted to throw it in there for that connection to the Ducks, because the Long Island Ducks are legendary. Play the quack again. Thank you. That being said, that being quacked, uh, Tom, what say we take a quack at... Around oh, the <laughs> oh God. the double dip quack jokes. Thought of God. that one on the spot. I'm proud of that one. I don't care. That was some good dad humor. Happy belated Father's Day, everyone, by the way. While Tony <laughs> gets the dad humor out of the way. Yeah. Okay, either way, let's get to Around the Horn because it is getting quite late here on this Monday night. If you don't know how it works... I've set in the rundown a couple teams we're going to go through, see how they've been doing over the past week or so, and then I'm going to pass the baton off to Tom, who's going to do the same thing with the subsequent team. We're going to give ourselves two minutes, and if we go over that, or if we are starting to quickly approach it, we're going to have to cut ourselves off and move into the next team. We normally set the timer longer, but again, just in case we didn't emphasize this, it's late, and we yes. want to go to sleep. <laughs> so Tom, bring us in. Let's go around the horn. Hell yeah. Okay, <laughs> let's get right into this. Um, I'm going to start my timer as we get to the first team. And of course, the first f team I wrote in here was the New York Yankees. I actually put the Yankees and the Mets under an umbrella called New York Baseball is a f joke. And I truly and earnestly mean that. And I'll get into the Yankees version of this argument right now. Because this lineup, ladies and gentlemen, is as intimidating as a newborn kitten. You know when they say, like, oh, look, you know, pitch towards the weak spot in the lineup. You know, you pitch around Jose Abreu so you can get to Josh Bell or so you can get to Miles Straw. No, no, no. The Yankees don't have any threats like that anymore because Aaron Judge is hurt and everybody magically forgot how to hit. 
Exhibit A, Anthony Rizzo, .83 batting average in June. Giancarlo Stanton's hitting 122, DJ LeMahieu 171, Josh Donaldson 162, and Glaber Torres 204. Mind you, we are 20 days into the month of June, and this is what we're hitting. This is what we're hitting, and people wonder why we can't close out a goddamn AL East team. The pitching, for the most part, I think it's gotten better. I know Clark Schmidt's low-key turned it around. Garrett Cole is still great, but Luis Severino, man. Luis Severino, what did I write? I wrote something about him in the rundown. Yeah, Luis Severino belongs in 2018. That's really the best way I could put it. His velo is sapped, he can't put away hitters, and he's only going to get older. If anything, we gotta thank him for making a looming free agency decision easy for once. Do you remember when I said earlier this would not be the only time that something went under the Yankees hitting coach's nose? Well, uh, Anthony Volpe subtly said in an interview that he went home to New Jersey during an off day, had dinner with former teammate Austin Wells. Wells told him something he could do to tweak his swing, very noticeable, and it paid dividends against the Mets because he hit great against the Mets. Yankees hitting coach! Wake up! You gotta notice that! I saw them interview him the other day, and I know I'm past two minutes, this is my last point. Why in the f*** are you interviewing the hitting coach and he's giving the same BS political answers that Boone is? He said something like, oh yeah, you know, we just gotta show up every day and do this, that, the other thing. No! Tell me what the problem is and f*** act on it! God damn it, this team is frustrating, but I'm not gonna go in on another big rant because I already did that this season, and frankly, this team is just not worth my time. Tom. Please take it away and talk about the Mets before I have a damn heart attack. Oh, I'm so happy we're doing an abridged version of Around the Horn so I don't have to sing my sweet sinful, uh, sing my sweet sing- Oh my god. <laughs> <sighs> so glad I don't have to say my sweet sinful- uh, uh, Screw that, I, I don't have to talk Just... about the Yankees and I'm getting cooked up on them. <laughs> Moving on to the Mets. Don't jeer Met fans because your team sucks just as badly as the Yankees do. You're somehow five games under 500, actually four games under 500 after they shellacked the Houston Astros tonight, but you're still solidly in fourth place in the National League East. And by the way, by the time this episode probably comes out, you're at least going to be five games under 500. I wouldn't be surprised if you're more than five games under 500. You haven't won a series since May because you have inconsistencies across your entire roster including by the way losing a series to one of the national league national league's worst teams the st louis cardinals led by soon to be fired manager ollie marmal justin verlander sort of rebounded against the yankees he did all right um but max scherzer keeps imploding except for tonight against houston he actually did at least seven strong innings where he only gave up a run he keeps uh, getting shellacked by his opponents, and yeah, no one else is really doing any good. The Young Guns, eh, they're doing all right. Francisco Alvarez is doing all right. Mark Vientos is back down in the minors, which is unfortunate. Brett Beatty, I haven't heard his name being tossed around, so he must be doing at least, hopefully, halfway decent, but... On the bright side, at least Buck Showalter is still proud of all of his players, as he seems to say in all of his post-game interviews now, that at least they're trying, at least I am proud of my guys, and blah, 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 blah. Buck, we all love you. You're America's sweetheart. You're the sexiest manager in Major League Baseball, but stop saying that you are proud of your team when they're playing this badly, even through some injuries, but yeah, stop saying you're proud of them. 
By the way, at least Pete Alonso is back weeks ahead of schedule. He hasn't done really that much, I don't think, yet, but we'll just give it some time. Oh my god, let's shed the depression and talk about teams who are actually winning, and let's be real. Oh, I forgot to change this. Yeah, you screwed up the rundown. I would like to point that out. You said the um, um the Tigers no, and the Marlins are that. winning? Question mark. And then you put a bunch of bullet points about the Cincinnati Reds. Now that's known now to the public. Hey, that was technically for the last week, the last episode we recorded, that we scrapped and did May Teams of the Month, where the Tigers actually weren't god-awful, and now they are god-awful again, so that would have been (laughs) untimely. Uh, But the Reds, let's get into them, because they're easily one of the most surprising teams in baseball over the past week or so. They are taking full advantage of a god-awful NL Central, and are somehow, I think this has actually changed since the Brewers lost... Yeah, the Red, the the Rays, the Reds are in first place in the NL Central at the time Jesus. of recording this, thanks to a nine-game winning streak, including a full-on sweep of the Houston Astros and an utter embarrassment of the Colorado Rockies tonight. Why is this happening? Well, the youth is definitely a damn good part. Spencer Steer and Matt McClain came up this year, and they both look like studs in the making. Andrew Abbott, this man, has pitched 17 and two-thirds innings and has yet to allow a run. He's already a top-five war-getter on the team with 1.4. He's got a cup of coffee in the bigs, and he's already producing this much. He's like a lefty Bryce Miller. I love it. Their bullpen is low-key really nasty, and I didn't think it was anyone outside of Alexis Diaz, but Ian Jabot or Gibbo, however you say it, Buck Farmer's been pretty good, Alex Young's been a wicked lefty out of the pen, kind of like what the Reds have going there. Oh, and in case it wasn't presently obvious, there's also Ellie De La Cruz, who we talked about earlier, so I will not talk about again. Do I think the Reds are going to keep up this white-hot pace? No. But do I think they have a very, very exciting future that should they add more starting pitching help via trades, draft, or incumbent prospects, they're going to be a very dangerous team in the National League sooner than we all think. I truly think they could go on a Diamondbacks-type run next year should they play their cards right. Now, while Tony did have the typo of the Tigers and Marlins are winning? Question mark. Well, the Marlins are actually winning. The Miami Marlins are in second place in the National League East and do hold a wild card spot, I believe, in the National League East, or not the National League East, just the entire National League in general right now because they're actually competent. Hmm, wouldn't have thought that. They're a top 10 team in Team ERA and OPS over the last month. And yes, as I mentioned, miraculously in second place. Sandy Alcantara, still doing terrible. He's got an ERA of just about five at this point, the defending Cy Young winner, but he's not going to win the Cy Young, but it doesn't matter because his teammates are picking him up, specifically Jesus Lazardo, who's doing fairly all right. Braxton Garrett is doing well too. The real winner, though, is Yuri Perez, or Yuri Perez, I don't know, baseball reference doesn't have a pronunciation, who's carrying the load, and Yuri Perez, in about seven games, has an ERA of 1.8, and an ERA plus of 246, and a 4-1 and record. The 20-year-old is looking really crisp to begin his major league career. Oh, also, they have this guy named Luis Arias, who's hitting a crisp 400 again in the batting average department. Yes, that's right, he's batting 400 again in the batting average department. He has now had three games in which he has had five hits over the month of June, which puts him in very, very neat history. I forget the other two players that did that. I believe one of them is Barry Bonds. The other one might be Ted Williams. I could be completely wrong, 
but I know that is a fact that he is rivaling, rivaling, rivaling. You had it right the first time. Yeah, I, I, I realized that. At any rate, he's doing really well. That's all you need to know. He's hitting 400 at this rate. Dude's literally a miniature version of Tony Gwynn. At least he should be, but he needs to beef up his other numbers. It doesn't matter, though. Jorge Soler is doing well. He's got over 20 home runs already, and he's actually hitting pretty well. Yuli Gurriel is returning somewhat to his Houston form. Jesus Sanchez is doing well. Brian De La Cruz is doing well. Things are just clicking. Everything just seems to be clicking for the Miami Marlins at this rate, and honestly, good for them. It's not a team that a lot of people would invest a lot of capital into, but hey, at least they're winning, and that's all that matters. Speaking of their winning, and that's all that matters, yeah, the team I subtly name-dropped in my last segment about the Reds is the Arizona Diamondbacks. And guess what, folks? They're not going away anytime soon. They finally put it all together with the help of some key players who really needed to step up and finally have. Cattell Marte is back to being a well-above-average hitter. He's one of their best uh, players this year. Lourdes Gurriel hit better than he ever did in Toronto during the month of May. Geraldo Perdomo, one of the most underrated players in baseball right now, is breaking out big-time. Big-time bat with some gold-glove defense and wicked speed. But if that combo also sounds familiar, then you also probably picked up It Describes the team's best player by far, Corbin Carroll. He is easily an MVP frontrunner with a 164 OPS plus, 16 dingers, 19 steals before the start of July, and a team leading 3.6 war, which asterisk on that. He hit a home run today. It's probably higher now, but still, that's insane. In the pitching department, even though their starting rotation is a little bit weak, their bullpen has silently been tremendous. Kyle Nelson, Kevin Ginkle, Miguel Castro, Yankees legend, Scott McGough, and Andrew Chafin each hold an ERA plus over 110, and they get as high as 164, that distinction going to McGough. Even though their starting pitching depth is pretty sapped, Zach Gallen is still Zach Gallen, which fun fact about him, he has a 296 ERA, but his FIP is 245, which indicates he is getting pretty damn unlucky. Don't sleep on a monster second half from Zach Gallen that'll just propel him into the Cy Young conversation and propel everyone else out at the same time. They're sitting at the top of the NOS for the first time in years. They're legit, folks. Our dark horse for the National League is a dark horse no more. They are serious contenders. Well, we're going to keep things in the NL West, and we're just going to move up the West Coast to the San Francisco Giants. And how the hell are they actually in second place right now? What's going on here? Either them or the Dodgers are in second place at the time of this recording, and at the time of this recording, I can say the Giants have a seven-game winning streak, another team that we didn't expect to have this big of a winning streak in June. Now we have the A's, we have the Reds, and the Giants now. What the hell is going on? It could be an eight-game winning streak. They're tied in the 10th uh, inning at the moment I am speaking, but it doesn't matter. The winning streak may or may not have ended by the time the episode releases. doesn't really matter because they swept the Dodgers at some point recently in this winning streak, and that makes them legitimate. Also, what's legitimate is their 80% chance of making the postseason according to baseball reference right now, and a 5.6, actually 5.3% chance to win the World Series. Not that high, but at least it's something Giants fans. Your lineup by the way, is firing on all cylinders, highlighted by Lamont Wade Jr., Michael Conforto, Jock Pearson, and recent call-up Luis Matos. 
Oh, yeah, and also Tyro Estrada and J.D. Davis, which are former New York greats. J.D. Davis traded in the Darren Ruff deal. Tyro Estrada, I think he was just actually DFA'd or released by the Yankees, but Jesus. Yeah, that's looking really bad right now. Tyro Estrada has a slash line of 291, 343, 474. Uh, where's J.D. Davis? He's got 10 home runs and 40 RBIs. Honestly, good for him. He's 30 years old? Holy J.D. Davis, Jesus. Anyway, he's got a slash on of 288, 369, and 488. Better than Tyro Estrada's. Doesn't matter. The rest of their lineup is doing very well. Michael Conforto looks like he's back to his Mets old self. Jock Pearson, ever since he returned, this winning streak has kind of happened. So maybe you can kind of contribute this winning streak toward the return of one of their leaders in Big Cock Jock. In terms of their pitching, it took a blow when Alex Cobb went down. But thanks to Logan Webb and a bullpen... That kind of reminds me a little bit of those bullpens from their World Series runs in the early 2010s. Based on efficiency alone, the pitching staff is holding it down very well. So the Giants are actually legitimate, a team that is kind of, I guess, getting some flashbacks to 2021 when they won 108 games or 106 games, whatever the hell it was. They're not going to reach that this year, but at least they're trying. And how they compare? A team with not nearly as much talent as they should be winning more. I, I guess really what I'm trying to say is they're overachieving again, but maybe they're not because they did this again two years ago with close to a similar roster. Now, as surprising as teams like the Giants and the Reds and the Marlins have been, Tom, I'm going to put the argument out there that the most surprising teams over the past week or so are the Dodgers and the Astros. But not for winning. <laughs> Damn, no, not for winning. Trust me, me and other, every other Yankees fan on planet Earth likes to... I, oh my god, wait. Uh, yeah, Tom, that winning streak just got extended. Mike Yastrzemski just hit a walk-off three-run bomb, so there you oh, go. How about that? <laughs> so, yeah, back to the Dodgers and the Astros, though. They've been doing a lot of losing lately, and it's kind of jarring. Both of them fell to third place in their division, and they were both humiliatingly <laughs> swept by teams they should have rolled the Dodgers falling to little brother and the Giants and the, the Astros becoming a victim of the Reds winning streak that to me is still kind of hilarious I tried diagnosing the problems with both of their teams and I think the biggest one right now is just a lack of consistent hitting pretty much throughout with special emphasis on their depth guys you know like the Astros still have Kyle Tucker and Jose Altuve has been great since coming back from injury and the Dodgers have one of the best hitters in baseball and Freddie Freeman and Mookie Betts too so they're top heavy. I think that's a good way to say it. Their depth is just not it. I can go ahead and list them all, but I'll just name one individual from the Houston Astros. Jose Abreu. Massive yikes. Massive yikes. I could say his OPS plus and other slash lines out loud, but I think it'll actually summon a ghost. So I'm going to stay away from that. Both definitely are feeling the hurt of losing impact players. For the Dodgers, it's Julio Urias, hence the pitching staff's been kind of wishy-washy lately. They also lost Max Muncy recently. And of course, with the Astros, it's Jordan Alvarez. So, as much as the Yankees suck without Judge, it ain't no secret that the Dodgers and Astros rely on their best players too in order to keep the team afloat. I think they all actually have 39 wins too, which I find hysterically ironic. It's not really a trend I expect to keep up, especially on the Dodgers front. The Astros offense has worried me all year, but the Dodgers are the Dodgers. They'll get it together, especially when their pitching comes back. And the Astros, we'll see what happens with Abreu and whoever the hell's going to play in that outfield. See if Chaz McCormick keeps it up. But nevertheless, ladies and gentlemen, 
That was the lightning fast readout of Around the Horn. I think, Tom, probably the quickest one we've ever had. Oh, at least one of them. By far the fastest around the horn we've had. It rivals the days of when we actually did around the horn like this, where we rattled off three teams in a row and did pretty much every team in baseball like a bunch of lunatics. Um, <laughs> but I'm glad we did that. We got in everything that we need to from the past two weeks. And yeah, I would have loved to go in depth a little bit more with these things, but we would have had to cut some teams and we would have been here for probably another half hour. And it's about one o'clock in the evening. It's all we started on a Monday. It's now Tuesday and we want to go to bed. So I'm glad we did do this abridged version. But yes, a lot of intrigue around baseball from the past two weeks, as evidenced by the amount of different teams that appeared on Around the Horn this week. We got to talk about a bunch of different teams we don't normally talk about this week, Tony. And honestly, that's kind of refreshing. Absolutely. I mean, hell, had we stuck to the Around the Horn I wrote a couple weeks ago in our last episode, we would have probably talked about the Rockies because, believe it or not, folks, there was a point where they were like a half game behind the Padres. And I was ready to laugh at the Padres like a goddamn hyena if that actually happened. But no, I like incorporating different teams that you may not have expected. Like, I don't think we've talked about the Giants yet. The Reds maybe came up once, but then that's it. And I promise next week we won't talk about the Yankees because, trust me, I'm sick of them too. Um... But no, nice little fun catch-up episode. Good to talk to y'all again. This was definitely a nice welcome change of pace after feeling the post-vacation blues all week. And yeah, we're back, here to stay. Let's have a damn good rest of the season. This ought to be fun. Absolutely, and hopefully better times arise for all of us, including the Royals and Jordan Lyles, because here is a Jordan Lyles update to end the episode. Because we've been on the Royals and Jordan Lyles in this episode, I'd like to point out that with tonight's loss, the Royals are now 0-15, and Jordan Lyles starts this season, which is the longest losing streak <laughs> to begin a season for a pitcher starts in MLB history. <sighs> <laughs> hey, do you remember when the Orioles got him to shore up the rotation like two years ago, and he was a meatball chef that gave up home runs like crazy? Why has every team not learned from that experiment? <laughs> I don't know what teams honestly see in Jordan Lyles. At least... He's not 0-12. He didn't take the loss, and he actually lowered his ERA from 689 to 672 after tonight's outing. So, you know what? That's progress. Now, the number 24 is on his jersey. I'd be interested to see if the Royals end up going 0-24 in Jordan Lyles' starts at some point this season. I'd hope not just for the sake of Jordan Lyles, because there's no coming back from that. Then again, I don't know if there's any coming back from an 0-11 start to the season, and we still have half of the baseball season to go. But that's a Jordan Lyles update. And with that being said, it's time to wrap up episode 66 of the Diamond Duo Podcast. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to this episode. Again, we promise we'll be back with content in the near future for you. It might possibly be on our social media channels. Go follow us there at the Diamond Duo Podcast on Instagram at Diamond Duo Pod on Twitter. And until next time, for Tony, I'm Tom. This has been episode 66 of the Diamond Duo Podcast. Have a great week, everybody. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the summer. Take care, y'all. <laughs>